We've all seen that old couple walking down the street together, holding hands. We've seen that elderly gentleman that can barely walk himself, holding the arm of his wife as they walk together. We see pictures like that and um, we say, that's what I want. We, we know that they had a, a life full of years together, and not all those years were happy. They, they probably had some of the toughest times, but they, they got to that point together, and you're like, that's what I want. But how do you get there? I had a friend recently asked me, uh, and this is a friend that's allowed to ask me deep questions, asked me, well, how are you and Leslie doing? And before I could really think about what I was going to say, I said, oh, yeah, we're doing okay. And have you ever watched the game show Family Feud and they give a wrong answer? There's a big X that comes on the screen, you know. As soon as I said okay, it's like, no, that's, that's not good, is it? Because marriage and life and love, it's, it's meant to be what we see that one day. And so we are kind of here at point A and, you know, we live life and it might be bad, it might be okay, or it might be good, but we want to we get to that B point. We want to we take that path to get to, the, to that future together of, of just living a life well in the good and in the bad and living it together. So how do we walk that path? What does the scripture tell us about walking that path together? And what does it tell us about relationships in general? Because I know that not everybody here is married, and so I want to talk about what God says needs to be a part of all of our relationships. And we've been talking about a life of faith, that we live all of our life for God. We've been in Colossians 3 since the beginning of the year, and that Whatever door we walk through, there's a calling on our life. And we're going to spend a little time, a few weeks here, talking about walking through that door of our home and what does that life look like as we move into our homes. And our launching verse is 3.17. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So whatever we do, whatever we say, we do it all for the Lord. We live all of our life for Him. And then immediately in the next verse, it begins to talk about how we do this in our homes. And I want to read that, picking it up at verse 18. The calling on our life and how we are to live out this idea that I live all my life for Him. Whatever I say, whatever I do, how do I do it inside of my home? Well, in verse 18, it says, Wives... Submit to your husbands as it is fitting uh, for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. I want to be very careful over the next several weeks not to trample on the beauty of these verses and add extra things to them because this is what the New Testament is very clear about. It's not just here in Colossians, but throughout the New Testament, this is how wives and husbands and children and parents work together. It's constantly repeated and we're called to to follow what God says. But the reality is, is that in our marriage and family relationships, sometimes the most intense emotions surround those relationships. 
They are far from the easiest relationships that you will ever have in your life. Especially in a marriage relationship where you have covenanted and vowed before God and man to bring your lives together in community and to live with another person for the rest of your life. I mean, these are not easy things to do. And so that's why when we have a wedding ceremony, the first statement we say at any wedding ceremony is that we have gathered together in the presence of God and the company of these witnesses before anything else is said, before the bride is given away, before any vow is said, is we stand before God and we make this commitment, this covenant together. And then you'll say something like this, and yours might have sounded different, but the idea is still the same, that I take you, my husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death do us part. And then we start the journey. And the most important ingredient in that marriage relationship, but really in any relationship you will ever have, the thing that will get you from point A to point B is love. The most important ingredient to any relationship you will ever have is love. But what is love? I mean, how do you define love? I mean, everybody says, well, I'm falling in love or I've fallen out of love as though it's some type of feeling. And so we search for the definition, and let me tell you, the world will not help you define love. It will tell you what love is, but it is a poor definition at best. And so we have to go to God and we have to go to his word, and that's what we're doing tonight. We're going to go to God's word and see what he says about love, the love that we've been singing about since the moment we gathered here. And for that, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so I'm going to ask you to open to that. We call it the love chapter of the Bible. It's probably read in almost every wedding ceremony that's done here at the church. It was probably read in your wedding ceremony. And as you read through chapter 13, it's that mushy thing that you're watching that young couple stand before God. And you're like, oh, isn't that cute? But this is not a chapter in the Bible just to cozy up to. It's quite possibly one of the most challenging chapters in all of Scripture. It is very easy to read. It is very difficult to live out. And so let's look at this. And let's go through it just verse by verse and walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as we begin this chapter, we realize that if I don't have this love... I really don't have anything. So we begin in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor or give my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So basically, if I don't have love, it doesn't matter how great swell a guy I am, doesn't matter how much I do, some translations even say that even if I give my life as a martyr for Christ, if I don't have love, it's worthless. And I preached on this before, and I gave a uh, a kind of a, a, an equation that, that says, you know, you can fill in the blank here, whatever it is in your life, whatever gifts, whatever things you bring to the table, but minus love equals nothing. 
Whatever it is in life, just fill in the blank, whatever it is. But if you don't have love, it's worthless. So we have to have this love if we're ever going to make it in our marriage or as a parent or in any relationship that we have. If we're going to make it, we better have love. I need to love, but what is love? There's many characteristics of love, and we're about to walk through uh, verses 4 through 8 here in just a moment. But I want to tell you, as we read it in the English, you're going to see these words as adjectives. Love is patient, love is kind, those things. And in the English language, they are adjectives, but in the Greek, they're actually verbs. And they're in the present continuous state. So these are things that we do, and we do them now, and we continue to do them. And so as we read through it, don't think of it as an adjective. Think of it as a verb. This is what love does. And I'm going to do my best to bring that out. And we need these things actively employed in all of our relationships. And so this is where I'd love for you to get your sermon notes out, get a pen out, get ready to receive, because this is here to equip you. This is what we do when we preach. We equip the saints. And so get ready to receive from the Lord right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, now picking it up at verse 4, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of, of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses hope. Is always hopeful. It never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. And this is what I want you to do, and we're going to keep this on the screen here. But I want you to, in your mind, as I read it through, I want you to insert the word Jesus instead of the word love. It says Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. He does not demand his own way. Jesus is not irritable, and he keeps no record of being wronged. Jesus does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Jesus never gives up, never loses faith. Jesus is always hopeful, and he endures through every circumstance. Jesus never fails. And we can all say, amen, right? That's powerful, because God is love, right? Now, I'm going to ask you to do something much more difficult. I'm going to ask you to put your name in as we read through it. And so as I read, I will read my name in the place of love. Daryl is patient and kind. Daryl is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. He does not demand his own way. Daryl is not irritable. Okay, I'm getting under tremendous conviction up here right now. So um, it doesn't take you long that you, you just don't want to keep going on. You don't want to read your name into that passage because you're like, that's, that's just not true. It's too much. It's, it's too difficult. And yet, my calling is to love Leslie, to love our children, to love you and our church. And so, so I've got to live this out. So this is where we're going to examine what God is saying here, that we can actively live this out. What is love? Here we start writing down right now. First of all, love is patient. The King James says that, that love is long-suffering, and I like that term, long-suffering. It means it doesn't strike back. I think of Jesus when he could have struck back when they were mocking him and punching him and pulling his, his beard out 
And I think of Jesus, he, he could have done something and he didn't. He was meek. He was strong, but he was patient. And so here's how I would define patience when we say love is patient. Love has a long fuse. That's the way that I'd say it. Love has a long fuse. Do you have a long fuse? Some people have a long fuse for circumstances. Like, well, I can, I can roll with the punches with the circumstances that I find myself in, but they have a very short fuse when it comes to people, or vice versa. But love has a long fuse with both people and circumstances. And we don't want to exhaust our patience. When we do that, we see the depth of our love. And so that's how you can gauge how much love you have in your life. How quickly are your patients exhausted? with the people around you and the circumstances around you. It says that love is kind. And kindness is actually just the counterpart of patience. We react with kindness when patience is needed. Have you ever heard a parent say, if you can't say anything kind at all, don't say anything. You know, if you can't say anything nice, so that might be another word we could use, nice, but nice has a funny feel to it. But if you can't say anything nice, if you can't say anything kind, then don't say anything at all. And, in, and it means be constructive. Build the person up. Don't tear them down. Do you know what this word kindness actually means in the Greek? What it literally means is this, gentle behavior. Gentle behavior. And so love has gentle behavior. Now, it's interesting in Paul's writing, he now begins to change to what love is not. And he says that love is not jealous. Jealousy is a destructive emotion. It will eat you up from the inside out. And so you have to ask yourself, how do I feel when other people, the people around me, uh, have success? When they are blessed, how do I feel about what God is doing. Because there's always going to be somebody better than you out there. But, but how do you feel when the people around you are better, when they are successful? You have to win this battle with jealousy. You can't say, well, I wish I had or, or I wish they didn't have. We can't live that way. We have to be content. And so love is content. That's a, a good way of saying it. That we love when others are blessed, when other people are successful, and we're content with, with what God has given us. Love is next, not boastful. It doesn't always have to be out in front, showing off. It's, it's not happy when it's the center of attention, as so many people are. I think of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, and while we don't have time to go there tonight, you can read it because it talks about how Jesus, who was very God, lowered himself to become like you and like me. And he didn't mind doing that. He did that as a servant. He wanted to come and be with us so that he could die for us. And, and so true love esteems others more than themselves. It's not about raising your value. It's about raising the value of others around you. And that is a perfect picture of Jesus. Love is not proud. I like what the King James says. It's not puffed up. I like that idea of being puffed up, having a big head. The Bible is very clear not to think too highly of yourself, that, that you need to understand who you are. It is not all about you. And what is better to do is to be humble. And when we're humble, that's when God exalts us. 
God always responds to humility, but he hates the proud. If you want to be an enemy of God, just be proud. But that's the wrong sign. Be humble. Let God lift you up. Love is not rude. Literally means to behave indecently. You don't want to live that way. Love has good manners. It follows God's ways and his laws. And I, when I think of this idea of not being rude, I think of the, the little boy or girl, when they meet an adult, they, they address them as sir or ma'am. That idea of honor, that idea of respect, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking. By nature, we are takers. That's how we are. Since the fall, we're just takers. We're not wired to give, we're wired to take. But love, the love that God gives is unselfish. We have a calling in our life to give. Whether it be in our marriage relationship or with our children or the people around us, we give. And we give strength to the weak. We give substance to the poor. We give sympathy to the suffering. We're to give our heart first to God. And then we give our heart to our neighbor. It's about, what can I do for you? Not, what, is it in, what, what do I get out of it? What's in it for me? See, that's the type of love that we need. The next one is, love is not irritable. Or the Bible says in the King James, easily angered. The idea of a temper. And unfortunately, we see that too much in, in, in our homes or in our workplaces, in our school, that person just flies off the handle at the littlest thing. That idea of having a, a temper. There, there are going to be people that get on our nerves. It's just the reality of life. There are certain people that get on our nerves, and I'm not sure why we choose to marry those people, but we do. But just as other people get on your nerves, you get on other people's nerves, and that's just how it is. And, and a lot of times we justify why we're, why we're angry. Well, this person or, or what? Let me just say that, that, that this idea of temper or being easily angered, this irritability is about the exact opposite of what we see in Jesus as he ministered to people and especially the people that were closest to him. In love, we're going to choose to not focus on those things that annoy us. We're going to focus on the gift and what we can give in the relationship. The next is that love keeps no records of being wrong. It says in the King James, thinks no evil. It doesn't credit the wrongs. In other words, this is an accounting way of saying that I'm going to mark it in your ledger when you wrong me. I'm, going to, I'm just going to make sure that I have stored that in, in the account. I, I've got it in my memory bank. It's, it's playing in that tape over and over again in my mind. I don't know how many of you watched um, Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech, uh, but I loved watching Michael Jordan uh, play basketball. I loved it. And I was, but I was so sad as I watched his Hall of Fame speech as he basically shared with us why he was so driven. And he began to recount from an early age on through all the titles that he won of every person that had disrespected him, of every person that had said something bad about him or did something to him. And he said, that was the fuel that, that made me great. And I don't know, I, I just, it, the, the, the speech to me was so angry and so bitter and and I understand how he worked, but I was so sad that here's a, a hero from childhood, if you will, and, and he was fueled by anger. And, and 
God says, don't keep any record of wrongs. It's time to stop playing the tape. Erase it and record over it. Because that's what Jesus did for you and for me. He doesn't remember our sin any more. I love that about Jesus. He's done it all for us. We don't keep any records of wrongs. The next one is love does not rejoice about injustice. Or the King James says delights in evil. Love does not delight in evil. I remember I was taking a, uh, a test at a, uh, a retreat center that, that we were at. And, and they tested you on... Um, your character in, in God and, and stuff, and they test, and they told me all the, the good things, and they said, okay, now for the bad things. And they said, you scored very highly in delighting in evil. And I'm like, no, no, I don't. I don't delight in evil. And then they began to explain to me, what does it mean to rejoice about injustice or delight in evil? By human nature, we are actually attracted to evil. And, and so think of it this way. It's watching that gossip show on TV or looking at those magazines as you're checking out as it begins to tell all the bad things that, that different people have done or, or that true crime show that you love to watch and, and you, you just eat that up and, and all the bad news that you watch on TV. There's something about the human nature that loves it because that stuff sells. And it sells because it speaks to something inside of us. We're intrigued sometimes, by the most reprehensible behavior, by evil, by perverseness, and somehow we are drawn to that. And, and here's, here's what we need to do, is we're going to see that in the world in which we live, but we should allow that to trigger compassion in our heart rather than just view it for our entertainment. So have that compassion when you see evil, when you see injustice, and allow that to be the trigger, rather than just being entertained by watching it. The next one is, uh, love rejoices whenever the truth wins out. I love that. Love rejoices when, when God's word wins, when his principles are, are, are dis on display. And we want to see the principles of his word on display in our families, in our marriages, and in our lives. Love never gives up. I love that. Or bears all things in the, the King James. It never gives up. It means to cover or keep silent about or to keep confidential in the Greek. That's what love does. We, we put up with it. We endure it. We, we protect rather than publish the, the faults of our spouse, of the people that are closest to us. We know what they are. We just decide to not make them public for everybody. I love the book Sacred Marriage. I don't know if you guys have, have read that book or not, but it's a powerful book on marriage, and actually there's Sacred Parenting and some others as well. But he tells a story that just, and it just spoke to my heart, and, and that um, if you have children, you'll, you'll understand this. Is I know my children. I know how God made them. I know their, their good side and their bad side. And I know that... Um, uh, their bad side can, can be a bad side and, and could be, it could be destructive in a relationship. But I pray that my, my boys find women that, that understand that they may not be good at something or that, that will love them even through the things that they don't have or they don't possess or the problems that they have, that, that, that they would be loved even though they have this issue in their life. 
And you pray for a spouse that would love them that completely and, and, and that they would do the same for their spouse because we don't want to publish everybody's garbage because we all got garbage. But that we protect rather than put it out into the public. It bears all things. It doesn't give up. It never loses faith. Love never loses faith or believes all things in the King James. It's always eager to believe the best. And that's hard because by nature we are cynical of other people. We are suspicious of other people. And that's the first place we go. And we are especially this way when it comes to motives. When we want to look inside someone's heart, even though we can't see it, we assume that we can, and so we automatically get suspicious. But we need to pray that God changes our hearts towards other people and that we believe the best rather than the worst. We want to love like God loves. And we need to to believe the best for others and have that mutual trust. Love is always hopeful. It's always hopeful. It's more than just being optimistic. It's that love hopes for the best, even in failure. Even when we fail it, it wouldn't be final, but that that we would believe for the best, that we would hold on and never give up. And we see this with God and his people throughout Scripture. Start in the Old Testament, go all the way through the apostles in the New Testament. They fall and they fail, but God always believes the best. He always believes that they will return. He always knows that he can redeem the situation. He is always hopeful. We are never without hope. Hope when we have God's love. And so we have to make that conscious decision to hope and to build up and encourage and and wait for something good to happen. Next one is that love endures through every circumstance. This is actually a military word uh, in the Greek, and it's the idea of standing one's ground. That we hold on regardless of the assaults, the barrages, the troubles that we face in our love life, and our relationships, that we would hold on or we would stand our ground as a military would stand their ground. And this type of love is hard and it has to be learned and it has to be practiced. It's part of love to make the decision that I'm going to stay and I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to persevere. Again, back to the vows and the good times and in the bad times, it doesn't matter. I'm going to stand my ground, which leads us to the last one, that love never fails. Love never fails. That when I live love out, like the Bible tells me, like God tells me to live it out, God's love, it never fails. No matter what trials may come, troubles may come, love always wins. As you look at that passage that's on the screen, as you think about all the things that we just talked about, a lot of things in a short amount of time, when I was going through this and studying this, I've got to tell you what happened. I became overwhelmed by God's love for me. Because I'm not good at these things. It's hard. I want to be good at these things. I want God to make me better at these things, but I'm not good at these things. But yet God is perfect in all of these. And I'm blown away by how much God loves me. And how much God loves you. And how lost we would be without his love, that his love stands when all else fails. When I fail, his love still endures. And so that's the first thing that hit me. The second thing that hit me is I got a lot of work to do, and so do you. Let me give you another verse here quickly, 1 John three eighteen, and I love this. It says, let us not love merely in theory or in speech, 
but in deed and in truth. I love that. I don't want to just preach a sermon about loving and go, wow, yeah, that's true, that's good, and God loves me. But I want us to go out and practice this. As we talk about our marriages and families and our homes and life and relationships over the next several weeks, I don't want you to say, yeah, those, that's, that's some good stuff, but that we would actually go out and live it. Because here's the bottom line of what I'm preaching. Do you remember when I said that, yeah, it's okay, when somebody asked me about marriage with love, oh, yeah, it's okay. It's not okay to just be okay. It's not okay to just be okay. This has to be lived out from the core of our being. And we have to be known for this love. If God is our God and we are his children, we have to be known for this love. It is not okay to just be okay. Um... I, I like to read a lot of different blogs and, and, and look at if I can see what, you know, God teaches us in, in the business world. And if you've ever heard of, of Zappos Shoes, the online shoe store, this blew me away about, about their customer service. And, and it's, a, it's a shoe company that's an online shoe company that actually began uh, 12 years ago and now has sold over a billion dollars worth of shoes. But one of the things they pride themselves on is how much time they spend on the phone with every customer. That it's not just a matter of answering the question, getting off the, the phone, as most companies do, to see how short that can be to answer the question and get off, but rather how long they can spend on the phone with the customer. And the longest they've ever spent on the phone with the customer is six hours. And the reason is, is because the woman that called in to buy a pair of shoes had just lost her husband. And the reality is she really just needed someone to talk to that night. And she found a friend on the other end of that phone and they talked for six hours. And by the way, the, women ne the woman never bought shoes. And when the president of the company was asked, is that okay? He said, absolutely because she got what she needed. I thought, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know their business plan, I don't know if they're Christians, I don't know, but that's like, man, that's better than the church. That's better than me. The, the world is hungry to see God's love. And when we can, when we can do that, when we can do 1 Corinthians 13 and do it the way God does it for us, man, the world needs to see God's love. And so how do we start? Because we're going to talk about this for the next several weeks. How do we start this? I'm going to make it super simple. And this is what I do with couples because when we're at the altar, just so you know, and, and we're marrying a couple, I realize that when I'm talking to them, they're not listening to a word I say. I mean, it's just, they're getting married. They're excited. They're so this is what I do. I always boil it down to them very quickly in a message is that love is this. It's simply this. Love never tears down. It always builds up. That's simple. That's where we start. Love never tears down. It always builds up. That's where you start in your marriage. 
That's where you start with your children. That's where you start with that coworker. That's where you start with your uh, mom or your dad. That's where you start with your children. That's where you start with your neighbor. That's where you start with God. And that's where he's at with you. Love never tears down. It only builds up. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me tonight? I just want to spend a, a moment in prayer. It's time to go, but God has so much in his word about love. We are called in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, we are called to love. And we love him because he first loved us. We have such a hard time doing this on our own. And that's why we need the power of God inside of us. And so let's just begin with the most simple thing. Love builds up and never tears down. Lord, help us this week. God, I know that tonight was just an introduction of what's coming, but sometimes it's overwhelming when we see all the things that we're called to do as husbands and wives, as sons and daughters. As your children living in this world, it just seems overwhelming. Can I really do all this? But Lord, you're so clear that love always wins. It never fails when it's done your way. And so God, give us courage. Give us strength. Give us the ability to love like you love. We are your children. May we resemble you, Heavenly Father. Teach us how to love. Give us that patience and that kindness. Give us the strength to do all that you've called us to do. Give us the strength to build others up when we feel like tearing them down. Lord, give us love when others tear us down or we tear ourselves down. Just build us up, Lord. tonight and now I've been praying but now just with your head bowed and your eyes closed I'm just going to let you talk to God I'm just going to let him speak to you just for the next minute just have an alone moment with God
just now and what he's been speaking to you. I don't know who's been coming to your mind as we've been talking tonight of who you're called to love. But if tonight you're going to make that commitment to love and you're willing to learn over the next several weeks of what it means to love and walk in that love with one another, with God first, with family and neighbors second. If you're willing to make a commitment to that first Corinthians 13 type of love, I'm asking you to stand your feet right now. your love inside of us. Lord, make us a bright light amidst the darkness. Lord, we just can't do it without your help, so help us, Lord. We love you tonight. We honor you. We worship you. Thank you, God. Amen. So we believe God's going to do that tonight. As you stand for the blessing of the Lord tonight, I'm just going to say this quickly, that relationship that you need to have right is not your marriage relationship, it's your relationship with God. And so if anybody does not have a personal relationship with God, um, that's the first step. He loves you with all of these characteristics. He came and he died on a cross for your sin. And so if you don't know him tonight, I encourage you just to give your life to him. And, and um, there's a packet up here. It's got a Bible. It's got a prayer that you can pray. It's got discipleship things in there for you. It's there for you, or if you know somebody that witnessing to you, you want to take one and give it to them. Uh, but that's where you start first. That's the first place you start is your relationship with God. And then you allow that to spill over into others. So that's where we start. We start with that relationship with God. And then it moves. It just moves. Out beyond yourself. So we receive the blessing of the Lord. And coming tonight and we just believe that God's deposited something inside of you and uh, that you're going to live out that love this week. But may the Lord bless you and protect you. May he smile on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace. God, I thank you for that blessing. I thank you for that love, God, that we don't deserve and God that is perfect for us. I thank you for loving us in that way. May we love others this week and May we grow in you. May we be equipped, Lord, tonight and into the next part of our lives, God, with your love. Lord, keep us safe and strong until we can gather together again and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope to see you again on Wednesday night for our prayer night. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next weekend. Remember all the great things that are happening this week, especially the, um, uh, the upcoming the upcoming spa night. I don't know if we have tickets here tonight. Do we have tickets tonight for spa night? Or, I don't know if we do or not. If you
We don't call Monday morning to uh, to Jerry. Oh, do you have them or no? Oh no, we don't. Okay, we'll just call Monday morning. Jerry will answer the phone on Monday morning. You tell her you want to come. All right. God bless you.